What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. Today's episode, we have TJ Manisterski. I uh, truly enjoyed this. This is one of my favorites. He is so much and far away a thought leader in coaching when it comes to the NCAA. Uh, if I was in the D3 realm or even bottom of D1, I might just uh, skip D1 and go straight to D3 because Curry College is doing some specific things, some fantastic things that really lead to success on and off the ice. Uh, I really love this. What about you, Dan? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We've been following TJ's work for some time now. And like you said, he's a thought leader. He's just a really uh, intelligent guy who thinks about hockey and really like the way developing these young men the right way. And, and we're thrilled to have him on. Uh, I'm sure we probably both are going to take away the same thing because we gushed about it during the podcast, during the episode. But the way that he you know, empowers his players to really take ownership is something that I think I need to do more of. And we've had this conversation now a few times with different guests, and I think TJ knocked it out of the park. It's, it's amazing. Kind of, yes, he has the empowerment that we always talk about, but how he goes about it is unbelievable. I don't think anyone I've ever heard of goes to that extent of involving the players and what's our game strategy going to be and then helping guide them. I mean, it's just so powerful if you can do that. Um, you know, why wouldn't you want to play for him? I, I'd go through a wall for that guy, go through the wall for all of my teammates. I'm playing a Curry. That's awesome. I, I loved it. What, uh, what else did you take away? I mean, just his journey. Like he said he was the youngest division three coach at one point, like when he was hired. And uh, I think that's super cool. And he's stuck around for a while now and he's built this program into something special. And <clears throat> like you said, he's, he's, on the verge, that's a, that's a program on the rise and has been for some time now. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, let's get into the conversation. I, I can't wait anymore. Let's have, have a good go with TJ Manisterski. On today's podcast, we have TJ Manisterski. How are you doing today, TJ? Oh, I'm great, Greg. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you. I know you've got a very interesting story, had success everywhere you've been. So uh, maybe give the listeners a quick background. For those that don't uh, know your coaching project, where you coach now, and kind of your path. Sure. Well, I coach at Curry College, which is in Milton, Massachusetts, which is it's just seven miles outside of downtown uh, Boston. So it's a great location. And when I got the opportunity to coach here in 2012, I was the, the youngest head coach in the NCAA at that time. Now, I've been going into my ninth season, so I, I'm getting older. I don't hold that distinction by a long shot anymore. But it started in Toronto, which is where I'm from. And uh, really, it's, um, you know, growing up in the dressing room at York University, my father was an assistant coach with the men's team, and then he was a head coach with the women's team. So being around that environment 
really set, I guess, the roots or the foundation of what I wanted to do. I maybe didn't know it for sure when I was 10 years old, but looking back for sure that that was a big impact on me just being around the coach's room, being around the rink and obviously loving hockey when knowing when I, my career was going to be over, you know, coaching was something that I wanted to do. So I've always been sort of forward thinking towards that end and preparing myself for that. And I was just hoping that one day I could combine something that I love to do with making a living. And uh, it's been great. So I'll, I often tell people like, you know, this is, this is the best job because it beats working for a living. For sure it does. I want to ask you about coaching outside of Boston. You kind of touched on how it's a great area to live. Talk about maybe what it's like recruiting that area. There's so many players. Like what's, what's your process like to find players, sift through? Because obviously like you're in a hockey hotbed. There are a lot of players here. There's also a lot of colleges here. <laughs> and sure. the competition for those players is, is fierce. So – you know, you have to find your strategic opportunities. And, and for us, we've, we've actually gone to some uh, non-traditional areas as compared to our competition, you know, whether that be in Ontario for, for me because of my connections and the people I know there in history, that's been a good place for us. Or as, you know, we've gone east to the Maritimes, we've gone to Manitoba, and 30% of our team is European. So that's been an area that we've really uh, – sort of dove into and have made made some some great groundwork and um, great players great people and adding to the diversity of our program so that's been a lot of fun at the same time you, you know you're trying to I mean, you have to be great in your backyard too like you have to know the players and the people and and there's a lot of there's a lot of them as you mentioned what I found though is that you know a, a great player in Boston may have 20 or 30 schools recruiting them so that's uh, – you're getting into a meat grinder there. I did not know that there were – there was a huge Division three presence uh, in Europe. I, I've been following, like, in the NCAA Division one path, it seems like there's more European players than ever. What's the sell like to European players at the Division three level? Sure. Well, I'd say about half of them are already playing in North America. They're in, they're playing junior hockey in the United States. So that's part of it. And then as your connections grow and your experience grows, you can recruit players directly from Europe. I've been over there a few times for different opportunities. So you you make connections and and whatnot. I think the the biggest seller is opportunity for these guys because in most of these countries in Europe, they don't have the opportunity to, play high level hockey and study at the same time. Their systems aren't set up that way. So they can get a degree in the United States in English, which is a huge accomplishment. And then when they go back home, it sets them apart from others and they can do it while still playing uh, very high level of hockey, extend their career and potentially play after. So it's, it's those life experiences I think that are just so tremendous for those guys. That's awesome. And I I love the college route. I think there's so much that comes with it and that college experience and playing in front of peers. uh, It's quite something special. Um, When you're, when you're looking for those players, is there something that jumps out to you or what you're looking for specifically? I know every coach wants to have some kind of growth potential, but what does that look like to you? What are you seeking? Well, 
you got to be very clear on, on what it is that you're looking for. And when it comes to, I guess, growth potential, there's a story I like to tell and think about is it actually comes from Jamaica. And there was a sprinter named Asafa Powell who in high school, you know, was nothing special. He actually finished seventh place in a high school track meet. Then four years later, he set the world record in a hundred meter sprint. So he's the talent that whispers. Okay. It's something you, you didn't see that really coming. Then you have Usain Bolt, another Jamaican sprinter who everybody knows is the fastest man on the planet. And he certainly has lived up to that potential, right? Like he's won the gold medal in the 100 and 200 meter events, I think the last three Olympics straight. So he's the talent that shouts. Like you can't miss him. He's a shiny object. Now what's really interesting about the two is that Asafa Powell's personal best is 9.72 seconds. And Usain Bolt's is 9.58 seconds. So the difference between the fastest man on the planet, that talent that shouts, and this guy who couldn't even win a high school track meet is just over a tenth of a second. So the difference is finding the right people, the right character, putting them in a development program and expediting their growth. So when you're looking for that growth potential, as you put it, you have to start, I think, by having an open mind, right? You have to look at, have it sort of take a strengths-based approach, right? So what can they do? I think often you go into the rink and, and sometimes you might write a guy off right away for some reason, but I think it helps if you go in there and look at all the things that they can do first. And then when you're looking at weaknesses, you know, what are the weaknesses? Do they even matter? Can you fix them? You know, do you have enough time? Right. And then doing your background and your homework on the player, what's their development path? Have they played in the best AAA program their whole life? And, uh, you know, and you kind of know what you're getting, or is it somebody maybe has been underdeveloped, maybe been in a center that, that hasn't had the same resources or, you know, there's lots of different, uh, you know, examples. You could go with that. I think family matters. Like what's the family background? Um, you know, what is that? How does that lend to their personality? And I also think passion, if you can find out who has passion, then they have growth potential. So a lot of it, a lot goes into it and it's not a, there's no checklist, so to speak, but it, it comes down to doing your homework, finding out more about the person and, and finding out, um, you know, are they somebody that has, has talent that whispers? And I think the interesting thing is as well, is that's also how you can tell or how you should try to find out about the players that are supposedly high prospects. Like we just had the draft right in the NHL and how many first rounders are going to have great careers and how many are not. And what's the difference. And I think that talent that whispers also applies to those super talented because there's been other sprinters. You know, I'm not a, you know, I don't know a whole lot about sprinting other than really than that story, but there's got to be other sprinters like Usain Bolt same talent that didn't turn out like him. So there's a difference. There's something underneath that you got to find. For sure. And apologies in advance for sticking on the recruiting, but I think it's just such an interesting, you know, I, for me, it's, I, I'm fascinated by this. You were a young coach, like you said, when you started, you're still a young coach, but how have you changed in the way you recruit? Um, I don't know, just like generally speaking, since you're <clears throat> the beginning and to now. Well, I think what, the experience that I've had has really shaped is my has informed how I look at the game and how I think 
the game should be played and how I want my team to play the game. So if you start with that big picture in mind and work backwards, then you say, okay, well then what are the types of players and the skill sets do I want, like that I value, like where do I place value on certain skill sets because they can execute the style that I want to play. So I think I, I'm more precise about what it is that I'm looking for. And I'm, and I'm comfortable, more comfortable with maybe looking away from that shiny object in some cases that everybody might be hot on, but you know what, that's not exactly right for me or for Curry college at the moment. So uh, you can you know that, I think that comes with maybe some time and some experience and uh, shaping how you view the game. Uh, I guess that would probably be the biggest one. And I think sometimes you can fall into a trap of being pretty generic with your assessments on players. Like, Oh, he's a good skater or he's a bad skater. Okay. Well, like why? Like what is it? Because you could have two guys that are great skaters, but they skate differently. So what is it about them that is good? Uh, what is it that's holding them back? And again, like, does it matter? You know, not all weaknesses make make a big difference. Honestly, I'm a big fan of skating. Is almost overrated when people say, "Oh, he's a bad skater." Well, could have great edges. You've been getting jumped um, on Twitter for that recently. Uh, yeah, I have because <laughs> I feel like everyone's like, oh, you have to be an elite skater. Well, you can be a good skater. It doesn't always have to be elite. Not everyone can be Usain Bolt fast or Powell fast. Right. And you can still play a sport that, you know, it's a little more into it. So I, I think that that's huge. Um, and you, you're in a very interesting environment with D3 where you've got kids that are aspiring to be Division One and kids that maybe aren't able to get there, but they still have just such great skill sets and you can learn I'm curious on how you go about finding that because if you want to be a top D3 school, you really need D1 kids that are willing to play that Division three and have that buy-in. So how do you kind of handle that as recruiting and then also as, as a team itself? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if you take the top half of Division three, those rosters are full of guys that have the ability to play Division one. They didn't get the opportunity for one reason or another. You know, maybe they, maybe they were considered to be bad skaters, for example, <laughs> to your point. Uh, but then they come to Division three and they, you know, and they light it up because they have great hockey sense and skill and, and they, or they have some other attributes, right? So uh, the other reality is there's just not enough jobs for the amount of good players. So you look, I think there's 61 Division one teams now. So on any given year, let's say there's 60 teams, so the math is easier. Let's say six players graduate a year. You're talking about 360 players. So in theory, 360 open spots in Division One hockey. Okay, so you look at there's probably a dozen programs where if you're not a legitimate NHL draft pick quality prospect, then you're not going to one of those 12 teams. If you don't have elite grades – you can kick off another 12 schools. You're not going to those schools either. So that 360 spots just got cut almost in half right there. Now you look at, you mentioned Boston being a hotbed, Toronto, where I'm from, hotbed, the rest of Canada, uh, the Midwest, um, you know, the United States, California, the Southwest is growing, hockey's expanding. And then we, we're not even talking about Europe yet. So 
there's just not enough spots for the good players. So you end up with a, a quality of play in Division Three that is way higher than anybody knows if they haven't actually been a part of it or seen it. I totally agree with that. Uh, small sample size, my local beer league, there's a bunch of D3 alum, and it's legit. Like, people who don't know, I'm in a Columbus, and, for, like, people who don't know, like, there's not a, a lot of difference at all. You're right. Uh, earlier, you kind of – you mentioned that, uh, you, you know, you're looking for guys that play your style of hockey, but what is your style of hockey? At Curry, we would be disciplined, fast, and relentless would be the buzzwords. Now, those are probably three words that might be used in every dressing room potentially, or any dressing room could use those. So it comes down to how you define those. But that would be, I guess, our identity as a team. But in general, listen, we want to exit our defensive zone quickly, ideally with the puck. We want the puck to move forward at the blue lines. We would like to stay in the offensive zone as long as possible. And then when we lose the puck, we want to get it back as quickly as we can. And we want to play with a real transition mindset in both directions. So that would be sort of the game model, I guess. And, you know, I can draw a pretty picture of it too. Um, I have a pretty picture of it. I could send you guys, but that's where we start with. And then, you know, then you build, I guess, backwards from there. And so every one of our team systems would, be consistent with that philosophy of play. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, what skill sets are important to me? So we talked about skating. Like, uh, it's more important for me to have defensemen that are really good skaters than forwards. Like, it's hard, it would be harder for me to overlook a poor skater on defense than it would be as a forward in the way that I want to play. For sure. Uh, as an example. So that's how I can get a little more specific with, with our needs. That makes sense. I know that on a division three staff or really just any staff anymore, like you're being pulled in a million different directions with recruiting and administrative stuff on top of obviously like all the on ice stuff. What's, what's that been like balancing with like your staff and, and maybe not off ice, but specifically like on ice, like how, how do you find yourself delegating? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a very timely question because we have our first official practice on Monday and we just got our assistant coach hired yesterday. So, uh, Mikhail Bryan is his name. So I'm excited to have him. I know him. Yeah, he's from your area. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's we'll have funny. to send him the link to this episode. He'll get that's all pumped too funny. up. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he went to high school. At, I'm a little older than he is, but same high school and everything. Like, I've known him forever. That's Good for him. Good for him. Power of the internet. I love That's this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So he, he, he was coaching junior hockey out here last year. And uh, so he's going to jump on with me and our, with our program. So, but yeah, like the challenges are, the challenges are the protocols, the COVID protocols. And how do you, how do you break up your team? You're going in groups. Uh, like, so like it, those are the challenges but I just see such a unique opportunity right now. One of the, one of the challenges in pre COVID D three hockey is we just don't typically have enough time to give individual player development. It's due course in a season because we usually would have say two weeks or three weeks of on ice practices before we're playing games that impact rankings and 
potential NCAA tournament berths. So you're so focused on your team play, your systems, your opponent, all these things, and you're trying your best to pay attention to individual development at the same time. However, now, man, what an opportunity. We used to not have enough time. Now we feel like we have too much time. But now I get to just double down and invest completely on individual player development and just give all of our players uh, such the, the tools and the resources and opportunities to develop as a hockey player so that when we come out of this semester and get into next semester and play hockey games, you know, hopefully we have a bunch of guys that got a lot better. And that's huge is continuing the development through the season or having enough time. Uh, I feel like there's never enough practice time. I'm always like, well, I got to synthesize what I want to do into this shortened time frame because we got to prepare for games, just like you said. So I'm curious as to what player development looks like for you or what you're being able to do differently and really focus on those individuals. Because uh, I think you've got a very unique story in college hockey of how you make it so player first. So maybe talk a little bit about how you make it player first and then kind of what you're doing now with, with COVID protocols and having this extra practice time. First of all, you know, if you're not a player's coach, I don't know who you're coaching, right? So we, we are only, we are here because of the players and for the players. So we want to create an environment around them that gives them the best chance for success. Because what we really want to do is expedite their growth. What seems like a long time is four years in our environment goes by really quickly and we want to create the conditions so that they can get, uh, we can pull the best out of them as soon as possible. Right. Uh, to be players first, it's about empowering them. It's about giving them the opportunity to take control of their own development. It's about ownership and involving them in every step of the way, because coaching is not something that I do to them. It's something that it's a relationship that we have together and, and that's what it's about. And that understanding there actually is an I in team. So if you have 25 players, you have 25 individuals with unique backgrounds, personalities, uh, abilities, feelings, uh, expectations, right? So they're all different and you have to treat them as such. So what you're trying to do is create this optimal individual experience inside of the team environment and it's a big endeavor but it's the most important thing you can do because i think if if you make one player better it's like a rising tide lifts all boats then that helps your team so that's the general philosophy of 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 i guess why we're doing it um how do we um what was the second part to that? I'm sorry. Like, how are we doing or what's different now? Is that what it was? Yeah. How do you go about doing that individual development with the player? Because obviously you focus so much on team stuff and winning at the NCAA level. How do you kind of break it down and focus on that? I know it's tough with how much time you got to give to each spot and how you focus, sure. but maybe what you've been able to do with COVID. Well, we used to go, we used to go top down, right? So we'd start with like that game model we talked about and then we'd get teach that. So we understand it. So here's our style of player philosophy because we want our guys to be able to, to think quickly and play and make decisions and be problem solvers and creative inside of our philosophy or our style. And then we would build 
further down to our systems and so forth. And then we'd get to the individual level. But now what we can do is we can go from the ground up and go bottom up. So I'm starting, we can start with the individual skills and build up to the game model. So for instance, like we can, we can get as specific as, Hey, I got five guys on the ice and because that's what our affordances are because that's the, the, uh, we'll have 10 guys on the ice in two zones. So five, five players in one area and we can work on wall play for the whole practice as, as opposed to maybe five minutes before practice or 15 minutes as part of practice. The whole practice, the theme of the day is wall play. And then how does that relate to different uh, recurring situations that happen in a game? How does that relate to your position-specific demands in a game? And then, okay, how does that then relate to the next step of retrievals and exits or offensive zone attack? And, and then so we're building up. We can build from wall play into our systems and tactics. If that, Hopefully that makes some sense. Oh, that's awesome. I absolutely love that. And, and it's actually something I do. I love to have a theme of the day. Like, here's our theme for the day. So I'll start by shooting off in team snap what the practice is going to be, but also some film of certain situations. So one day was angling. So, okay, how do we angle properly? But then also on the opposite side of that, I was, okay, how do we control defenders' feet and get away from angles and put defensive players in bad spots and be able to dictate from there? So that is awesome to hear that you're being able to do that. Um, and be able to progress up from there. I think that's just so critical in how you do it. Um, I love to use film just to get the feet wet. I don't know about you. What about you, Dan? Uh, I know you guys do some video with Belfry. We do tons of film, but I'm more interested in what TJ does with film. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so we're going to show a five to seven minute video shared in advance before the wall play practice and it will be showing the key concepts and themes of wall play from our games last year, usually that resulted in great outcomes like goals and, uh, and, and just, you know, have a voiceover uh, sort of thing. So we're limited. What, what we can do is team meetings. So we can use this technology and share it in advance and, and it's just to prime them. Right. So now they're, they're getting, uh, this anticipatory set of what practice is going to be about. Then you get out on the ice and then, and then you work it so that, you know, you're building your video to relate to your theme and you can do it all day, of course. And then, you know, and then you can get to the individual level, you know, now that we got Mikhail, it's time for him to get busy. Right. So That's right. he's going to be going to work. He's going to, he's, yeah. So he's, he's going to be ready to go and uh, you know, working one-on-one -on -one with guys as well. Uh, so that's, you know, you know, I don't think any of that is, is recreating the wheel. And I'm not, and that's not, that might be different than what we're doing in two weeks. I mean, I think one of the things that changed, like when I first started coaching was I thought, okay, I'm going to create this template of what it means to coach a season and I'd save everything and I'd make this binder and here's my season binder. And then next year I'm going to look at this binder and then I've got it. It's perfect. Right. What I've learned is that, uh, okay, it doesn't work that way. It's just constantly, uh, you know, solve the next problem, right? And, and find the best way at that moment. And, you know, if you're in a lifeboat and it's sinking, it's like, well, which, which hole do you fill first? You know, the biggest one. So you know, that's sort of the approach that, that we take day to day. That's funny that you have that. And it was so, that's kind of how I got started. I started recording every single practice and I would look back, like, what have we all done? Um, I've gotten to the point, I don't know how you do it, but I basically have 50% of, 
the things already set in stone before just to make sure I'm hitting all these different topics and just with player overturn, how, you know, to make sure you're keeping those fundamentals going the whole year, but then the other 50%, who knows what's going to happen, what's going to pop <laughs> up. I love that lifeboat. Fill the yeah. largest hole first. Yeah. Well, the thing that's really interesting about the times now with, with COVID is it's completely opened the playbook. Like you can't, you can't get caught and well, how did you do it before? How do we always do it? Because you, you probably can't do it that way anymore, or at least not for this season or anytime soon. So it's, how are we going to do it now? So there's something innovative about that. There's something exciting about it. Scary at times too, but uh, you're just rewriting the playbook completely and everything that you do right now. That's cool. We've been documenting uh, our practices for a few years now. So we've got this big like Google drive library with like just hundreds of practices. And it's funny to like look back even from, I don't know, call it three years ago and kind of like judge your former self for practice plans. You're like, ah, I would never run that sequence today, for example. So it's kind of funny to like look back in hindsight uh, for me at least, but. Yeah. I, I feel bad for some of the players I used to coach. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty funny. So you've coached uh, basically exclusively college kids since you started, you know, after your pro career ended. Uh, I'm curious, like when you get, let's just say a 20 year old, most of your kids are ballpark 20. Like how, how much of them, and I don't mean this to be like a leading question, like the old ethos is that like when you get a college player, like they are what they are. Do you subscribe to that? at least like a little bit or do you, are you like when when I get them like I can fix old habits I can like develop them get them to the next level obviously like that's your intent but like how realistic is it to change for the better like a 20 year old on average mm -hmm. well I guess the first thing I would think about with that is I wouldn't like not all 20 year olds are created equal like they're all different right so there is an I in team that whole idea like yeah some some guys are going to be a lot harder to, to, to maybe make some changes. Um, where I think you get your most bang for your buck or your highest leverage opportunities in development, in, in my experience at my level, uh, is focusing on what they do well and trying to really accentuate that and build that and build confidence and uh, some freedom Right. And uh, that's where you see some real, real growth in a player. You monitor their weaknesses because everybody's got, I mean, every, it's a spectrum, right? Like you, the best players have something in their game that is, is their weakest point. Mm -hmm. But as long as that weakness isn't holding you back, like it's not a functional liability, then just make sure it doesn't become a functional liability and just sort of double down on, on what, on what you do well, like what your strengths are. I really do believe in that. I think you get a lot more buy-in and engagement from the players when you do that, you know, you know, from time to time you do have a player who has a functional liability that needs to be addressed. Uh, but, you know, I do resist the notion that you can't change or you can't improve. Um, I really do. Yeah, me too. And I think that if, if you like it just runs so counter to what you should be thinking. If you are a coach, like we are here to help players improve and grow. So if you think it can't happen, I really think you're thinking backwards. Probably in the wrong profession there as well. Yeah. For sure. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I love your philosophy and I love your website and everything is awesome about that. But I've always been curious how you kind of balance between player first and then the team first, because there's obviously team needs as a group. You don't want to do a disservice to 19 guys by, you know, doing something special for one. How do you kind of balance that out and decide ice time and, you know, what uh, goal he's going to start that night and things like that? Right. Well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I think that what you're trying to do is create that optimal individual experience inside of the team environment. We have, you know, we have standards, we have expectations that that's just it. And part of that player centered environment is to include the players in the, in the process of deciding what some of those things are and allowing them to help guide what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, what's elite, right? What are, what are, what are we about? Who are we? And when they have a role in determining those things, then they, they understand it. If they fall short, then there's con. If you fall short of a standard, there's a consequence. And that's just the way it is. And also they all want to win too. And that's what we're here to do. And that's part of, you know, tying to a bigger purpose too, as a team. So yes, there is this dance between uh, the, the player first versus team first to a certain extent, but the team is most important. And, but how we operate our team is to do everything we can to help the individual. And uh, so I don't really see it as much of a conflict. Honestly, I think, I, I think if anything, being player first, player centered sort of style actually helps them commit more to the team. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. I love how you put them into the decision-making process because I'm assuming they're not making a living off of playing hockey and they need to be able to figure out and make decisions afterwards. Um, and I, I've talked with Dan about this before. I have my coffee game every year where I let the players do everything from fill the water bottle, decide what they're doing for warm-ups who's playing what today, et cetera. And they just get to have fun with it. Um, and eventually you don't get too many men penalties. Uh, I've yet to have one without one of those. Uh, someday, hopefully that changes, but it's, it's really fun to see their growth as uh, individuals. How, how has that kind of been for you and your experience with them in those decisions? Cause they're not always going to agree and we have to be the adults. Well, yeah. Like I just think that anytime I've handed over something to the players, they've, hit it out of the park. Like they exceed my expectations every time. And I would highly encourage coaches to do this in, in finding ways to do it. An example, I guess, would be when we prepare for games, which hopefully we'll be doing soon. What we'll do is we'll share video of our opponents with our, with our players, the expectation. So they're, they're, it's a high challenge, high support environment. So the challenge is, hey, we're providing a resource here. Here's a video. The expectation is that you're going to watch it and you're going to prepare. And then we're going to have a discussion as a team. So rather than me walk in and have this big pre-scout meeting or, or Mikhail walking in and, and running this meeting and dictating, okay, here's what they do. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. All right. Everybody got it. Yeah. Clap and leave. That doesn't work because how many times do you think when you leave the room, Everybody's like, man, coach is a genius. He is, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Like, 
these guys, they've really got it. They've got it tight and, and uh, Scotty Bowman and everything doesn't happen. So what we do is we provide that video. Then we have an open discussion. Okay. What do you see? What do you think they do? Well, what are their strengths? Where are our opportunities? Where can our strengths, uh, you know, maybe exploit their weaknesses? You have this discussion, you go back and forth and a, a number of things happen. One is, as coaches, you learn some things. They will see things that you've missed. So that's a positive, right? So you, now you have some more information that you didn't have before. Uh, they are learning more about the game and each other. They're communicating in a way with each other that they normally would. So their connectedness is, is increasing as a team. They're becoming tighter. Our chemistry is improving. Um, they end up coming up with pretty good ideas as a team. And when they don't, you can guide the conversation to a point where, where they figure it out. And then the next day when you really outline the game plan, it ends up being like 90% of everything they just talked about. So they understand why the game plan is the game plan, not just what the game plan is. So I think that they are more bought into it. They understand it more. They're more ready to execute it. And, you know, I don't know if you get to 100% of the team thinks it's the best idea, but you're way closer to 100% than you, than you would have been in the other scenario where you didn't include them at all. Wow. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little speechless on that. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone going to that depth of involving the players. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Um, and getting them to think more. And I don't, that, I think I'm going to steal that from you, if you don't mind. So, Take it. Take it. It's all yours and run with it. And, uh, and then tell me how it goes. And because it, it goes a little different every time. And, uh, it, but it's, it's so rewarding. You'll see. I'm a huge, huge fan of empowering the player. So I think this is an extra step that maybe can be done. I mean, time constraints are always an issue with uh, high school and college sports. So we'll see how that works out. But yeah, I'm excited to empower the players more and more. As much as I can throw at them, the, the better. Um, so I, I, I love it. I love it. Cool. Um, one more thing for you here before we uh, let you have the floor. Uh, I think you're a thought leader in the space. I think that, uh, what you're doing is, is awesome. And I love your website and everything about it. So I'm kind of curious of what you're thinking right now, what you're working through, uh, what are kind of those things that you want to get better at or seeing out there in the world and just continuing to involve and be on that cutting edge. Well, right now, well, it's been an interesting journey. I, I guess I've this whole COVID thing. So you mentioned the website a couple of times, like when COVID hit is when I really sort of pulled the trigger and started it and I didn't really know where I was going with it and then I said well maybe I'll try a podcast too so I tried it and I my first one was just with uh Steve Weedler who's at University of Vermont now who, who coached with me at Curry he's a good friend so I knew that would be an easy one let's just okay Steve let's do it so we did it and it just kind of jumped in and then you know I sort of set a target hey I want to share something once a week whether it's a blog post or a podcast and we'll see how long it goes. And then it just kept going. And, you know, relationships like, like the conversation of three of us are having have come out of it and so many other countless ones. And I'm sure you two are experiencing similar things by, but with what you're doing. And I think that that's been really uh, neat and something that I didn't know was going to happen. 
the other thing it does is it's just you learn so much i think you you grow when you talk to other people you grow when you really think about what you think about and you want to try to be bring clarity to those thoughts so that's been really cool for me this whole sort of growth of of through that but now what i'm really thinking about is how do we maximize this opportunity i have with my team and we've got seven weeks of practice starting monday where we don't have a game so how are we going to you know maximize their development but also stay engaged stay focused when you know you're gonna have 35 practices in a row with no games so how are we gonna how are we gonna have fun how are we going to stay engaged how are we going to get better amid all of this uncertainty where hey we're planning to have a season but every time you know you turn on the the news or you open up your twitter feed and it's not always the best information coming back at you and you and you sometimes do wonder is this actually going to happen for us so you know the players are thinking this so how do we get through this seven weeks in a way that we actually make strides and win so how do we win the seven weeks because i think some teams are going to go backwards the next seven weeks and i think just staying neutral is going to be pretty good but if you can get better in the next seven weeks i think you got a huge advantage when we get rolling again and um so that's where my headspace is that's a lot to think about. I, you know, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. So you got 35 practices in a row. Well, my last one, and thanks for your time, TJ, is, you know, you don't have to go into state secrets here, but, and I know you mentioned that Mikhail's just now joining you. So I'm sure you guys have a lot to work out still, but what do you envision, uh, like loosely speaking, those practices to look like? We're going to like probably break it up into two week segments. So the first two weeks, we're splitting our team in half and then splitting the half into a half. So we'll, we'll be split up in two ends, basically. Uh, we're trying to adhere, adhere to some, some COVID protocols and spacing. It's going to be individualized development, as we talked about, skill work, but as it relates to team tactics and concepts and slowly build um, – to, we're building our team identity from the bottom up through individual skills and then blending skills as we go. And we've tried to identify what we think are the most important sort of those key performance indicator for us. And we are going to attack those. And for two weeks, it'll be in small groups. And then we're going to transition from there. To be honest, I don't know if in week three we're going to get to a full team on the ice or not. We might. We might love what we're doing and say, let's keep doing it. Or, or we might say, we've got to find a way to get the whole team on the ice because that maybe that's what the team needs in two weeks. So we'll see. Uh, but, but that's the general intention and direction for us. Love it again. I, I think you're just doing wonderful work, and it's only a matter of time before you guys uh, break through and, and get that national championship. There's no <laughs> way you go. can't with, with this, uh, this level of dedication and, and smarts and diligence. It's just wonderful. So thanks again for coming on. Uh, we like to leave the last two minutes of every episode. You can plug anything you want to talk about. So two minutes is all yours. Well, Greg, Dan, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the invite. It was a lot of fun, and 
you know, I learn a lot from hockey's arsenal. So I'll plug, plug that uh, for sure. And some great thought provoking uh, things and, you know, why point shots suck and, and so on. And uh, you know, that's, so if anybody, I guess if they're listening to this podcast, they probably already follow you. So I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, no, I, I guess I would, I take the moment to say, uh, you know, I think, I think I'm really proud of what Curry College is doing right now and how our, our college is handling uh, our protocols and the safety measures and the commitment they've had to bring our students back and bringing our, our athletics back and, and trying to play games here in short order. Very fortunate to be where I am and, and, uh, and working with my players. And I think that they're, you know, they're, they're super dedicated and they're very responsible right now. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see what they're doing. So um, we're, uh, even though we don't have games, I, I, I'm definitely in the mental headspace of it's, it's full, it's season mode. So, so that's great stuff. That's awesome. Well, best of luck this upcoming year and tell Mikhail I said hi and, uh, we'll talk down the road. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Take care and good luck. Thank you for tuning into the hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at Hockey'sArsenal.com. Uh, From there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, You can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.